everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening, and we are looking forward to our interview tonight with meteorologist Ian Giamenko. Ian's been with us a few other times, so Ian, probably a familiar face uh, for you all who are watching or listening to the podcast, and uh, some new things to talk about as uh, we roll out here in 2021, a new uh, rating system for how states are prepared and and building codes and things like that for hurricane season. Uh, That's brand new right off the presses. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, how you can be prepared for hurricane season and just kind of looking back at some of the other projects that is ongoing at the uh, Insurance Institute of Business and Home Safety, uh, just in the uh, in the PD of South Carolina, so not far from from us. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, recently, they've been playing with a little bit of fire, and we'll maybe even mention a little bit about uh, what they are doing with that, with all the massive wildfires and drought conditions that's going on throughout North America. So, pretty uh, exciting talk tonight uh expected so ian welcome back to the show uh, i know you've been a busy man here over the last few months uh been doing a lot of research and uh doing some new studies and things like that so let's kind of kick that off i know uh hot off the presses is, is that 2021 rating of uh the states and how uh, sound they are in construction and, and really just preparedness for uh, severe weather. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the idea behind this, uh, this document that you guys produce every three years and maybe where the Carolinas line up at? Yeah, it's uh, nice to be here again. It's good to see everybody. And, and I hope uh, folks are uh, having a good evening listening to us. Um, yeah, IBHS began our rating the states program back in 2012. And the idea was to put essentially a state's building codes, their codes, their enforcement, as well as their contractor training and all the licensing components onto some kind of numeric scale in which we could actually measure their performance and use a, use a number um, to actually set that. So we actually score everything from building code adoption to building code enforcement and how their, their code officials are actually trained in each state. This is at the state level, uh, down to how we deal with contractors and contractor licensing. And it's put on essentially a holistic zero to 100 scale. Those three major components, the code adoption being the most important part. We've seen good modern building codes can really reduce damage that scored zero to 50. The other two sides, the, the training licensing of building code officials and as well as the contractor licensing side scored zero to 25. So every three years, it it coincides with our building code cycle here in the United States. We release this report that actually evaluates essentially our states from Maine all the way around to to Texas. So our hurricane prone coastline from the Atlantic all the way around the Gulf Coast. In 2021, we had our latest edition come out. And at the top, uh, the top two spots are always right now battling Florida and Virginia. Florida takes the top spot that's back to back. But some of you might not know, South Carolina comes in at number three. They've been there for a couple of cycles now. They made a really nice jump from 2012 to 2015. Uh, So we have a, where I live here in South Carolina and Rock Hill, we have very strong building codes. Coastal South Carolina has always been up in the top five. But the big story this year for us was the improvement that North Carolina made jumping up uh, into the seventh spot, but they improved several points uh, from their last one. So they've been on a steady climb now uh, since we began in 2012. For the for the average person, uh, what are they looking at with this? I mean, when I guess insurance companies are looking at this data and the average homeowner, you know, how can they access this data and make sure that uh, that their homes are ready as uh, South Carolina is number three, North Carolina, number seven, how can we 
look at that data, make sure our homes are ready for this upcoming tropical, uh, tropical season. Yeah. So in reality, you want to look for, you know, we did this at the state level. You want to see the most recent code adopted by your state if they have a statewide code. Unfortunately, here in the United States, we only have 18 states that have a mandatory statewide building code. Elsewhere, it's handled at the local jurisdiction level. Um, but there's a way you can, one, go look at our page at IBHS.org, or if you just search IBHS rating the state, you actually find all that information. You can see the, the full list of how the state scored. But if you want to know what building code is in effect in your area, the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes has a great tool. It's called Inspect to Protect. So if you go to inspecttoprotect.org, you can put in your address, your zip code, and it will tell you what building code is being enforced in your area. And you want the most recent we do know codes happen on a, a three-year cycle, but you want your area to have adopted the most recent codes that keeps the best science and engineering into your building codes, but also know what year your home was built. And you can actually look at that on that Inspect to Protect um, website to see, hey, what, you know, my home here, my house was built in 2009, so I went back and looked at what code cycle was in effect um, to know that, oh, you know, South Carolina, they, they were up to date in 2009. And it'll actually give you some recommendations about things to do around your home if, you know, yeah, you have an older home built in the 70s or 80s that might not be up to what we consider modern codes, which, which really came about in, um, in 2002. But it was a result of all the work that came after Hurricane Andrew in 1992, which really exposed the problems with building codes and, and a lot of the enforcement. Basically, we weren't enforcing or looking at making sure homes were built to the right code or to the code at all. And Hurricane Andrew in 92 exposed that. We'll talk about last year's hurricane season, very active year, but uh, kind of the now and the present. Um, maybe some folks can't get all the way built up to code right now with, with the season already beginning, but what are some of those, uh, those easier things that we can do to get our homes prepared for incoming tropical systems, not only yeah. along the coast, but maybe even inland? That's right. So we face even, even here, you know, the, the inland moving tropical systems with, with some degree of wind, especially a significant rainfall. And the Carolina is we've seen that kind of landfall track really starting to flirt with us a little bit more um, than especially over my time here. Um, we've seen that before in our historical records. So um, it can happen Think about you know, the Hugo scenario in 89. Um, so the first thing, there's a real easy one, pull out your cell phone, go do a home inventory, take basically pictures or a video around your house of all your valuables, your, your keepsakes, your, your big ticket items like washer dryers, televisions, that kind of stuff and just keep it on your cell phone or stored, say on, on a cloud storage service, so you have it. So if you have to file a claim, if something happens and you have a bad, that bad day when an event comes, it will make the claims process way smoother. Make sure you got your location, geotagging, all that good stuff turned on on your phone and just go walk around, take pictures and do a video. Number two, and I actually did this here at my house last year, is trim the trees that overhang your roof. Because a lot of times, especially here inland, we're dealing with tree damage, right? We have some winds come along as well as the water side. Any of those big branches, limbs that are overhanging your roof, those can easily damage those shingles. And then once you damage the shingles, you can start to get water in if they happen to land on your roof. So that's a good one to look at. You can also have someone come out and look at, do you need to remove some trees, those kinds of things. Um, that's a good one, especially for those folks inland. Um, the next step, another easy one, fairly cheap and get a you know, tube of silicone caulk, check around the exterior windows and doors, make sure you don't see any of those gaps showing up and you can caulk them and seal them up. We've got a really good instructional video on our uh, disastersafety.org site that, that shows some of that. And, and you can seal those up, keeps water from getting in when you have high wind conditions and heavy rain. Uh, lastly, 
know if you're in a flood zone. If you're on the coast, know where your evacuation zones are. Know where you need to go. Uh, those kinds of things. So those are some of the simple kind of sweat equity things. And I also tell folks, you know, if you have all those outdoor plants, you know, you know we've got uh, uh, hanging lanterns on the front. Know how long it takes to take those down. So if we have an event come through, know how long it's going to take you to get those put away or tuck, you know, as close as you can up in your house. You just want to limit the flying debris that can happen. Uh, we see a lot of times, you know, people's trampolines go flying, even in thunderstorms around here, that can easily puncture a window. Puncture window, you let the wind and rain inside your house, the dollars start going up real, real fast. So those are some of the easy tips. And, and we just encourage people to start, to start with something simple. And then ultimately our hope is, you know, say you get to the next time you're ready to re-roof, there's the great time if you really want to make some improvements to the structure of your home, especially your roof and your re-roof. It's a great time. On your website, the abihs.org, you can uh, Google rating the states and it's an interactive map. And while you were talking, I was just kind of looking through this, some of the states and like New York uh, is a score to 60, but there's zero out of 25 for contractor and license and training. So I think Texas is another one, a zero out of 25 for code enforcement and administration. So it definitely looks like some of these states uh, definitely could improve in some areas. Yeah. And, and unfortunately what we see is and, and you guys know this, we have, we have unfortunately short memories as humans and you'll have states, especially you've seen this mostly a couple of the Gulf states, but New England primarily, where you go this cycle where there's no events. And so you saw before Sandy acts to weaken building codes, Sandy comes along and you see those scores jump in that between the 2012, 2015 cycles. And now some of them are taking those steps again to weaken the codes. Uh, we've, we've just got finished with some hearings looking at Connecticut. They're wanting to um, remove the sealed roof deck, which got put into code provisions this year. They don't want to enforce that. Um, so we're, we're arguing against that and kind of advocating that they need to leave that in there. Uh, another state that in this cycle of rating the states was Massachusetts that actually took out some of the protections in the windborne debris wind region. That's right at you know, that, that zone right at the immediate coastline. And those are some of the protections that, that if your home gets internally pressurized from debris impacts, helps protect against debris impacts um, that, that come with that code. So that's why Massachusetts score actually went down. They, were the, they dropped three points as a whole. That was the, the top drop uh, in this particular cycle. Ian, talking about uh, your, your LSU Tigers, Louisiana uh, really hit hard last year in 2020 with, did we ever determine how many named storms there was? Was it seven or eight? I, I, I don't know now that we lost. Um, I think well, I, I can't even remember which one we, we, we got downgraded or didn't actually make the official landfalls of yeah. hurricane. But then we had Zeta. Uh, upgraded in post-analysis to a major hurricane at landfall. They were under so many countless tropical storm and hurricane advisories, watches, warnings throughout the entire season. Uh, I, I talked to my dad after the ice storm they had in February, and, and he made this comment. He's like, Ian, five hurricanes, it was something like five, five hurricanes and an ice storm. I'm done with the weather. <laughs> he just stared at him like, over Zoom. I'm like, Dad, I'm sorry. I wish there was something I could do to, to help you guys. But they had, uh, in that state alone, a, a pretty, um, it was a miserable year. Um, and throw in the winter weather of February, um, that was a, a tough one to swallow. We just got done. I, I did an interview for the, the Times Picayune in New Orleans, or um, I guess now it's the New Orleans Advocate um, in the, the newspaper about Zeta. Zeta came in as a high loss number hurricane that nobody actually really thought about. Didn't produce a whole lot of flood damage, but from that just 
attack the roof perspective, you had a lot of you know, roof cover replacements and the subsequent water entry across the whole chunk that the, the Delta region of South Louisiana through the New Orleans Metro. So you got Homa in there and then down, you know, down uh, US or it's LA one down the, uh, the Mississippi River. And it turned out when you look at all the normalized damages, Zeta's up there in the list of, of high end damaging uh, Louisiana hurricanes. And you would not have thought it's just kind of forgotten. Um, and I hadn't thought about it until we got asked to talk to uh, the newspaper down there. And uh, so I started looking up all the data on, on, on Hurricane Zeta and, and sure enough, uh, but you throw in uh, Laura um, high end wind event. And then the people of Lake Charles had to deal with the, the, the storm later on that, that impacted them. Another one of the Greek alphabet storms, I think it was Delta. Uh, and I could be wrong because it all runs together <laughs> now and we need to get rid of the, the Greek alphabet and thank goodness we did. The, the people down there still trying to deal with the damage that, that came from Laura and then the subsequent you know, landfall Delta coming right after, you know, just I guess it's a week, a month, month or two later. Um, you just feel for people. And Louisiana actually right before this season had taken, they lost a point in rating the states because they weakened their building code a little bit. And you just, I'm sitting there looking, I was like, oh, please don't. Please don't do that again. Um, but big piece of legislation actually just passed this week looking at um, insurance discounts for fortified homes in Louisiana. So we're really happy about that. We have a tremendous uh, multifamily project going on in the New Orleans metro uh, built to the fortified home standard um, that, that IBHS has. So um, they are making some strides. And we always talk about it. We, it. It's sad that it takes big events and these kinds of seasons to spur action but unfortunately, in the United States, that's seemingly how we deal with these hazards. And I, and I really do wish we'd be more proactive, but there are positive steps that are actually going on. For those folks who may not be totally familiar with Fortified Homes, what, what, what does that consist of? Yeah, so the Fortified Home Program is an enhanced set of building standards that, that also, if you go through the program, gives you a, a designation that your home is built to this set of standards. And it is above building codes. Except I will say there's one nuance and it's actually a really cool one with the updates to the Florida building code. There is a huge chunk of the state of Florida that new home builds will meet our highest level or be about the same protection as our highest level, which is our gold level. Um, but we offer this standard um, and the designation as a way to ensure that you have an uh, added protection. So we start at roof. That's our, our, our base level. And that's the best retrofit option. So it just deals with your roof. So um, that's uh, making sure the roof deck is sealed, adding ring shank nails to the plywood deck to make sure the uh, uplift resistance is actually more than double. Um, and we do some edge details on the shingles to make sure we cut down on the wind vulnerability right at the edges and the corners where wind can get under the roof cover and start to, to work on it. Then we go up to silver, which adds uh, garage window protection and then gold. You're talking about the smash where you get what we call a continuous load path. So basically the roof is adequately tied to the walls, to the foundation and all the other stuff, the roof and silver components along the way. So you can basically go to fortifiedhome.org. We have a program uh, that basically can take you through that. I mentioned the roof designations are really good one to do if you're, if you're putting on a new roof. Um, and it is an enhanced set of building standards that goes above code. So um, it's a really neat program. Uh, my parents got a fortified roof in Baton Rouge a couple years ago. Uh, they took the extra step. Uh, the really cool part, and I love talking about this, I mentioned it on the last time I was on, the, the success in Mobile and Baldwin counties where they've actually adopted these standards into their local building codes. Now, we, that doesn't mean you have to go get the designation certificate, which adds an extra layer of inspection. 
make sure that all the work is done properly. Um, but most people do. And in most places, you qualify for an insurance discount uh, if you have that designation certificate. So uh, it's a really cool program. Um, we love, to be honest, to put ourselves out of business, you know, someday down the road where all the building codes take care of all this stuff. Um, and um, we know that it's well inspected and, and well maintained. Uh, but right now, it's a great way, especially, you know, Mobile and Baldwin County used it to basically bend down their risk. Whereas Alabama, if you look on the rating of the state's list, scores very low. They don't have an adopted statewide building code. And uh, those two counties use Fortified as the way to uh, bend down their risk. Not only do you guys do studies with hurricanes and flooding, but you also do a health study. And I know you were out there. So uh, tell us a bit about what, uh, what all you guys did this uh, past few weeks. Yeah, so we were back in the field. Our, our annual hail research program was back going. So hail is a big focus of ours. It, it Many people may not know it accounts for anywhere between 60 to 80 percent of the damage from severe thunderstorms every single year. And a lot of that's roof replacements. Um, so we began our field program way back in 2012 with the understand, trying to go understand what are the properties of hailstones that we needed to replicate in the lab. And we actually have a new uh, hail impact test standard that was developed at IBHS um, that um, we put in place. And we actually have shingle ratings. You can go look up and just Google IBHS shingle ratings. You'll find them. And, and those will rate the performance of the impact rated shingles that are out there on the marketplace to our test, which is about as realistic uh, of a test as you're going to find. Um, but lately, as we, we've transitioned from that work over to what we do now, we actually set up instruments in front of um, hail producing thunderstorms, and we're looking to actually map out the hail swaths. We're trying to improve how um, weather radars detect the severity of hailstorms. Um, we can get this highly detailed ground truth information, not only from physical measurements of hailstorms at the ground, but these in situ instruments that can collect the size distribution. And one of those, one of our focus, you mentioned the Rocky Mountains, is, is storms in the higher elevations of the high plains and front range tend to produce larger numbers of smaller hailstones. The, the size distributions are different. They produce those snowplow hail events where you see the huge hail drifts that are piled up on the side of the road. Well, we've started to wonder what does that do to a roof? These aren't the big hailstones. These aren't two inch, three inch behemoth hailstones that are gonna easily crack and dent your shingles. What is exposure to those type of events would seem to happen out there much more readily than say the Southern Plains or even down here to the Southeast. Um, so we wanna measure that and that's been our objective. And we did, we did go out and that was one of the targets. Um, we, we collected data on a tornadic storm at about 6,500 feet of elevation in New Mexico. Um, and sure enough, we didn't actually see the size distribution. I thought we might, um, but that's our goal as the project moves forward to actually go sample these storms in the higher terrain, understand what the size distribution, the numbers of hailstones um, and what those do to a roof. Does it make the roof more vulnerable to future hailstorms or does it expose the underlying asphalt so it's gonna age faster? Or do they actually cause enough damage that we are going to see claims from these events? And that's sort of something that the insurance industry would like to know. And, and they can plan for if they understand um, the fact that these storms may be more damaging than we think. I'll bring Jared and Frank in here because we have a little internal chat that we like to do. And it seems like every March or April, we're always sharing these uh, big hailstorms that hit northern Texas. You know, wind 70 mile per hour softball size hail blowing into these homes. But it's, it's interesting to know that you know, the smaller hailstones can also, you know, you're doing the research there to see if they also cause any damage. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things we can do is take these field measurements, bring them back to the, our laboratory space and actually run these kind of physical experiments on, on roofing materials, siding. We're going to do some work on siding. 
Um, we've done some great things on asphalt shingles, and we've even seen the asphalt shingle manufacturers move the needle. We are down to only, I believe there's only one product that doesn't fall in our good and excellent performance category. We had a handful when we first started this a few years ago, uh, but big kudos to the, the asphalt shingle manufacturing um, world. They, they improved those impact rated products. Now we just got to get them onto roofs. And uh, again, this is another area. These products do qualify you in a lot of places for an insurance discount. So that's something you know, talk, talk to your agent if you're in the re-roofing process um, that, that can stop some of the hail damage. Now, now out here, we don't see these big frequent hail events like we do in Tornado Alley. I'd love to just call it Hail Alley because that's where the big you know, the stuff happens as much. Although this year, um, right before we went to the field, there was a pretty epic uh, almost snowplow hailstorm in Great Falls, uh, not that far from our research center that, that I actually went out by myself and uh, went and took a look at that hail. But um, it, hail's, hail's like a forgotten hazard. Like nobody thinks about it in terms of the dollars it causes. And, and I'm telling you, this is going to be a fairly down year in hail, but we did have a couple of big events. We had San Antonio get whacked a couple of times and Des Moines just a couple of days ago. We're still going to eclipse 10 billion in losses, and it wouldn't shock me if we got to the 20 billion. Ian, do you all do anything with siting too? Because I'm I'm reminded my most recent thought of wind-driven hail was uh, Evan Bentley from the Storm Prediction Center uh, standing outside filming a hailstorm, and then Mother Nature threw one a little high and tight, so to speak, uh, got a little close and chased him inside. And in a wind-driven hail, I mean, I, I think that's some of the most shocking damage. Uh, it, it, that you it can, can see. Be. Yeah, yeah. Let me chime in on that. It's uh, it, great minds think alike. I was just about to ask that question, Jared, and and uh, I, I saw some of that at a conference, the uh, the Iowa NWA conference I attended a couple of years ago, where they did a presentation showing the the kind of really ridiculous damage that can occur to when you have hail driven by strong winds, 60 or 70 miles an hour. And yeah, it can really tear up siding. So that I think it's a great question to ask is, is uh, whether you're, you're ready to start branching out into uh, improving siding now that you have uh, things going in the right direction with building codes and shingles. Yeah. That's the natural progression. And that's what we're doing. We're actually, the, the, our machine shop team's actually working on the rig. That's going to be able to let us do the, uh, the impact angles on siding and wall materials. So look for that coming in 2022. And then the, the piece that comes from that, there's the, the R&D side, you know, can we test this? Can we rate the damage? Can we evaluate in a, a, a quantitative objective way like we do for shingles? And then can we rate these products? And what you do see, uh, vinyl siding, uh, of course, when it gets, especially when it gets aged, it gets very, very brittle. So you, any wind-driven component can easily crack siding. And you see the, the images of just shredded, shredded siding. But, but way back when we were developing our hail program, our lab test facility, we were looking at even some of the concrete fiber board. And I was able to, to puncture that with, with some test impact. So I'm very interested to see where these damage thresholds lie on siding. Does imp, how much does impact angle matter? Um, and uh, that's, that's where we're going to head. Uh, it reminds me that there was a, a hailstorm a couple years ago, a, a, a over a billion dollar event with basically marginally severe one inch sub one inch hail in Minneapolis. And it was all, it was a wind driven event. So there's where you can have these billion dollar hailstorms that don't even produce the two inch, three inch behemoth hailstorms that we think about readily is going to damage our homes. Um, you throw one of those across a Metro. That's one of the ingredients, wind driven hail in a Metro and you're going to get a billion dollar loss, big hail in a Metro, you're going to get a billion dollar loss. Um, and that's, that's some of the ingredients. So yeah, the, the next step logically 
Um, we're going to look at signing as well as some of the emerging roofing cover technologies. Like the um, there's discontinuous metal, so essentially not a, a full metal sheet like we would think of as standing seam. They actually look they're coated like asphalt shingles. Um, there's some composites that performed very well not only in our testing, but recently in the San Antonio hailstorm of, of this year that are starting to become cost competitive with say products like metal and tile. Um, and those, some of those manufacturers offer a true hail warranty, um, which we find quite interesting. So uh, lots of stuff out there. I, I, think, I think the science and engineering in the materials world is gonna catch up to hail. The, the real key is just gonna be getting it onto people's roofs. Um, to start dropping this, this really what is a skyrocketing uh, damage problem. Yeah, it seems like when uh, every year the NOAA releases the billion dollar uh, weather uh, events and it's always several hell storms. Uh, you're talking about siding and the research and development. So uh, we'll kind of uh, wrap up with this question. You te work at, I think, one of the coolest places there ever is. And if you've never been able to see what all Ian's, uh, his his office space looks like, you need to definitely check out their social media accounts. So uh, Ian, for those folks who may not know what, what, your, what your backyard, what your office looks like, tell us all that goes on in there. And uh, I know you guys were just recently playing with some forest fire stuff. I mean, you guys do it all. Yeah, so, so please check out, just search um, disastersafety.org, at disastersafety, that's our Twitter handle. For the hail study, you can go to at IBHS hail study. We've got a couple different websites there. Disastersafety.org is our consumer facing one. You'll see a lot of the videos. Our centerpiece, as is, is, is Scotty mentioned, is a full-scale uh, test facility. It's a full-scale wind tunnel. But we also test multiple perils in there. Um, and right now, we have a really, really neat project going on that's a collaboration with the United States Forest Service and Tall Timbers, which is a, a nonprofit uh, research group out of Florida that looks at the wildfire hazard. And what we're actually doing is testing fire spread and fuel breaks. So essentially the gaps that not only that fire and hand crews cut around fire lines around large wildfires, but also that we use in landscaping and land use planning to see what, how big do these gaps have to be when fires progressing through fine fuels. So for us, we used it in some of the work that we did just the other day, we're using beds of pine needles uh, as our fine dried fuel. And what you see is fire under wind conditions, the flame that actually tilts down. And that's what actually kind of jumps the fuel bed. Now there's the ember problem as well. But what we're trying to see is how do we stop the flaming front of the fire using fuel breaks? So essentially gaps. And so we, were, we had instrumented these gaps used different distances the other day in our work. We had gravel, that was our, our, our gap between one fuel bed and then the target. Um, fuel bed. And what you do see under wind conditions, the flames tilt over. And as soon as they touch that volatile fuel on the other side, they could ignite. And there's a certain distance in which the flames can do that. Um, and it is remarkable to watch um, the spread over just say 40 feet um, of fire in, in under a minute under just 20, 30 mile per hour wind conditions in our test chamber. And so there's a couple different applications. There's the application for fire services and understanding under what conditions, how big does the fuel break? Does the gap, does the fire line have to be? And then there's the other land use landscaping side of things. So a really, really cool uh, partnership group of testing. We've been doing this for about a month now. So a lot of meticulous work, uh, a lot of folks doing it. 
Um, and on the side, there's still hail impact testing going on in our small laboratory space. We've got a commercial roof set up in one of our other laboratory spaces where we can look at uplift on that. Uh, so there's always something going on. We don't, we don't always are burning down buildings or knocking a building over, but there's usually something really cool. And that, for me, as a scientist, is the coolest part of my job. I get to do something different every day. And, and I'm really thrilled that I get to engage and work in these multiple perils. Yeah, you know, I have the traditional academic background where I really focused on um, hurricane winds. That was my academic specialty. Um, but I got to touch all these perils. And I love that atmospheric scientists, we, we get to bring that really kind of diverse view um, and a really well-rounded earth science background to bear uh, in this space. So that is the coolest part of my job. So yeah, please check us out. Give us a follow on social media. You'll start to see more and more live events that we're going to do. So um uh, check those out. It is really neat. And maybe it sparks your interest in, in what can you do about your home or your business. And, and that's what we want. Ian, once again, thank you for having, uh, being on the program and we've enjoyed having you. How can, uh, give those social media plugs one more time. How can we follow you websites and all that good stuff? All right. So first off for any of our guidance on uh, what to do around your home or business, go to disastersafety.org. Um, rating the states, you have to go to our main IBHS page. So just search IBHS rating the states if you want to see that information. But give us a search on social media. If you just search Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety or just type in IBHS, you will find us. On Twitter, we're at Disaster Safety. That's our main Twitter handle. Uh, to follow what we do in the hail world, we do have our own Twitter account. It's at IBHS Hail Study. And you get to see kind of an inside look, especially the field program. So when we're in the spring and summer, Give that a follow. You can see all the, the, the ongoings in the field. And for information on the Fortified program, it's fortifiedhome.org. I know that's a lot of websites. Um, we maintain several. One, one just for you know, IBHS.org is focused on our research outputs and service to our membership. And then disaster safety covers a lot. You know, that's the stuff for you and I to, to work on and uh, do the things around our home that we need to. So please check those out. Give us a follow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You'll see all the cool stuff. And I'm hoping that maybe just some of those cool images will spark your interest in doing something around your home to really uh, make it more prepared for, for the next time bad weather comes around. Definitely so, because we all know eventually that bad weather will will be in your area. And uh, we'll link all those websites uh, to our website once we get our show out. And uh, be sure to follow on social media because they really do uh, Facebook Lives. I mean, that's how I watch the the wildfire uh uh, fire break yes or when you guys filmed it uh when we were filming this is in july so uh a few weeks ago uh watch that on facebook live so great great team you worked there ian so tell everyone we appreciate the hard work and we appreciate you joining us tonight no it's been my pleasure and guys anytime um thanks for having me again it's always fun to, to talk a little weather and building science and uh yeah, look forward to doing it again. That sounds good. Thank you guys for watching us here at the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you next time here on CWG.